Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. We have a really amazing guest today, Allison Kluger. She teaches at Stanford University. She's the Dorothy J. King Lecturer in Leadership. Now, she is the co-instructor at Stanford's Graduate School of Business in two courses, one called Reputation Management Strategies for Successful Communicators and Strategic Communication. But wait, there's more. She's the creator and lecturer of something called Project U, Building and Extending Your Personal Brand. And this is a course she teaches with uh, with, uh, the model and TV personality Tyra Banks. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, She's also got 25 plus years of experience in broadcast media, entertainment, and digital platforms. She's been nominated for count them, four Emmys. And she was an original producer on the popular ABC show, The View. And she's here in New York working on a special project with former New York Yankee, A-Rod. Very exciting. Allison, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm sure you need a break after doing all this stuff. It's been a busy day. (laughs) Busy life. Yeah, and I'm only 20. (laughs) I don't know how I squeeze that all in. I don't know. You know, your math skills are impressive. (laughs) That is why I'm in television. I have no math skills. Excellent. So uh, in in the first part of this show, we really like to figure out, okay, it's called the Disruptor Series. You know, we've got swag to live up to. And I think there's an interesting disruption that you were at very early in your career. And that disruption is that, well, businesses have brands, you know, uh, and, and, and products can become brands and services are brands. You were one of the first people to go, wait, people can be brands. Yes. So how did that happen? Well, historically, being a television producer, you try to make people look really good hmm. on television. And they have to learn how to message who they are in really succinct sound bites. And they're either promoting a movie or they're promoting a book or a project. And whatever they do is extending their personal brand. And I think the key to success many times is being consistent. Mm. And when you're not consistent, it's purposeful because you want to change or pivot. So that's always been very interesting to me. When I came to Stanford Business School, I was teaching strategic communication and reputation management, and we can get to that later. But when I created my first, actually my second course about personal branding, it was just very interesting to me that People now, especially millennials, are switching it up Hmm. a lot more. And there used to be a time when CEOs would hide behind their desk in in an office far away, and no one really knew who the guy was. Right. Now, people are the face of their brand. People are the face of their company. You've got Mark Zuckerberg. You've got... Um, I mean, the guy we talked about, uh, John Legere from, from T-Mobile. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, you came and you spoke in our reputation management class. And let me say, I told you, you were the highest scorer. Oh, you're just you saying are. that. I'm not just saying it. I I'm the say only it. one of the people that you invited who had a podcast. <laughs> you were amazing. Nice and we gave say. we gave examples of that. But these days, you are your brand. You are your business. You are your product. And I think that people are more conscious mm-hmm. of their values and what they're standing for and um, kind of walking the walk. And when like when do you think this changed? Cuz again, there was there was a moment like you say that you were kind of behind your big walnut desk, you know, mm-hmm. nameless, faceless, you know, just look at the company. I mean, was there a certain moment do you think where Well, if you ask me who the first one I think really did it well was Richard Branson. Mm. You know, to me, he was the person who became virgin. And he was, you know, so visual with that big white mane of hair right. and he was such a disruptor himself. 
it, who's all about fun and adventure. Right. But let me turn it around to you. Who do you think? This is my podcast, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your Branson observation is really, really good because, um, you know, it's whatever, 1969, 70, 71. Here's a guy, a kid, you know, he sort of has that magazine student. And then he thinks, hmm, students like records and I want to go into the record business. Uh, we need a better name for the record business. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you know the story, they, they had two choices on the, on the company. One was going to be called Slip Disc Records or Virgin. Wow. So that's how it started. But I think, I think you're right. He was kind of the first uh, celebrity CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have Mark Zuckerberg now. You had the Uber CEO who shall go nameless mm-hmm. now because – and, you know, that's the, that's the dark side of it because once you're the face of your brand – you really have to live up to the expectations, and it can go bad for you. you can, mm. You're you're watched, you're scrutinized, and that also leads into why I teach reputation management as well because you're so in the public eye, and then you have social media, and you have to be very aware of what you say, how you say it, who's your audience, and then again being consistent with your messaging mm. because it's not that you're a role model, but you can affect the stock market. Of course. You can affect your consumers. You can affect your pro- – and everybody who's working for you. The optics are all there now. Mm. So interestingly enough, I think, you know, let's, let's, let's use Branson. He's, uh, he's, a, he's kind of, you know, flashpoint one. Um, I'm feeling very academic, you know, because you're a Stanford person. So <laughs> um, I hear Stanford is the Michigan of the West. That sounds that, <laughs> that sounds, sounds about right. We say that all the time. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's on a T-shirt in Topek. Um, but but there's the Branson moment, and then um, is there a second moment? Is it the social media revolution? Is there something that happens before then? Do you think? I think it's a social media revolution. Yeah. I do. Well, everybody wants their face out there. Mm. And people are more comfortable communicating via Twitter or video. And the problem is the democratization of getting information out there anyway. Everybody feels like they're the expert. The people, the true leaders, are the ones who do it really, really well, Mm. are the ones who can message well, who are adults and behave well, and who can create a sense of trust and who have charisma. It's sad to think that you have to be a CEO who also has charisma. Yeah. But if you do have it, you can make your company even more powerful. That's why there's so much media training these days. Well, I was going to ask you, do you think, and maybe this is something you do, can you teach charisma? Is this something someone's born with or is this something you can teach? I love that question because when I go to one of my new clients, because I have my own media consulting business, I have a book that I give as my present to all my new clients, and it's called The Charisma Myth Hmm. by Olivia Cabane. And for those who don't want to read it, who are ADD and don't want to read a new book, I also have the crib notes I typed up, five pages. (laughs) And I say, here's my gift, and then if you don't want to read it, here's the five-page cliff notes. Um, It absolutely can be learned. Hmm. And some people are born with it. You, my friend, are born with it. A-Rod is born with it. But not, and that's where the similarities between A-Rod and I am. Absolutely. Although you're a little <laughs> taller and more muscular than he is. Oh, thanks. Um, that's our direction. <laughs> but it can be learned. And this is a little anecdote that I know because I worked with Al Gore. And, I've um, heard of him. Yes. A lovely man to set up Current TV with him and Joel Hyatt. And I know that Joel used to work with um, Bill Clinton And I also know this just from my strategic communication class and from reading some books, that Bill Clinton really learned how to be charismatic, Mm. that he had to learn how to communicate in a better way. And there's a whole section in Olivia's book about 
how warmth and strength and connection can be taught and slowing down and being very present. Mm. And this book talks about learning how to be charismatic. You just have to be willing to do it. Mm. A lot of it is letting down your barriers, not being afraid to engage with someone, learning what your message is, and letting other people feel the warmth of your your Mm. gaze, really. But there are, there's some simple lessons to it. Mm. And there are different kinds of charisma. Right. You know, there's the Gandhi kind of charisma. There's the Oprah kind of charisma. There's the Colin Powell kind of charisma. There's the Richard Branson crazy mm. kind of charisma. So there are different types that people have. Oh, that's interesting. But it's learned. It can All right, be learned. So I think this is fascinating. So for somebody like you brought up uh, our friend Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. Is he considered charismatic? I mean, he seems like, I don't know, sometimes I see him and I'm kind of like, buddy, let's go. You're like the richest guy in the world. Like, you know, come on, dazzle us a little bit. You know, it's so interesting. I don't know him personally, although my husband and I have seen him at the farmer's market quite a bit (laughs) in Palo Alto. I think the problem is he was so young when he came to this really big position and he didn't have enough life experience. I think he's brilliant and Mm -hmm. he had a great idea. And I think he hired Cheryl to be the grown-up. Yeah. And the charisma. And to I have think the charisma. everything you said about warmth and letting your guard down, and I think she's got all that in spades. She has. She's an amazing communicator. She's particularly good at writing. If you've ever read some of how, mm. what she writes about, especially in her book, she, she really knows how to touch people and relate to people, and she's been through some very tough times. Right, yeah, of course. I've seen Mark grow, and when he actually testified, I watched that very carefully. That's very uncomfortable. He still, to me, looked very young in kind of a big boy suit. But he was under scrutiny for a long time. And I'm like, you know what? He did better than I expected. I still think that he doesn't have the natural charisma that some people have. Mm. I don't know if he really wants to be that person. I think he wants to do his job, do it well. He leaves the schmoozing, maybe, for Mm. lack of a better term, maybe to someone like Cheryl. I don't know him, but maybe he's better on a one-on-one. Maybe as the face, Mm. um, he gives his messages I think he gives off an earnestness, which can also work for you if you're not as charismatic. Also, I don't know if being overly charismatic would be genuine for him. Mm. All right. Now, if you were coaching him, because this is what you do, mm-hmm. uh, for this, um, you know, when he testified before Congress. So after day one, you'd meet him at the unnamed hotel wherever he was staying and you would do the consultation. What would you tell him? How could he have improved, do you think? Or you can tell me, hey, listen, he was good. I don't know if in that venue you can do anything but look sincere and genuine and speak clearly, not sweat too much if you can help it. Like the whole Nixon, JFK <laughs> thing with, you know. Poor like... Nixon. He was going to have that beard no matter what. And I don't think they uh, patted his face down enough. Um, he didn't believe in the power of television, as we all know. In that venue, I don't know. But if you ask me in general for someone who's maybe uncomfortable or who isn't as warm, I would say that you need to be very present. You need to pause more when you talk. Mm. You need to tell a little bit more about yourself and tell stories. Mm. Share something that is relatable. He's a father. He's a husband. He did startups. There's struggles. You know, he's a big philanthropist. He believes in education. So He sounds amazing. He is. And I think he buys fruit at the farmer's market. Um, <laughs> and he only likes underdeveloped peaches. He lets them ripen his kitchen because no one else will take those peaches. I think that that's part of it is, you know, I'll get to it, but I was with A-Rod today at the Today Show. He's co-hosting. Should I skip to that or should I? Go for it. All right. Yeah. So, um a-Rod. A-Rod, for those who don't know, is Alex Rodriguez, you know, former Yankees icon, and he's a reporter for ESPN and Fox, and 
he was co-hosting with Hoda and Kathy Lee for the fourth hour of today's show. And as a former television producer, because I produced Good Morning America and The View, you know, you hope that whoever's guest sitting will be adequate Mm -hmm. and good. He was such a natural. But what was surprising about him was that he really shared what it's like to be a father. Hmm. He shared why he and Jennifer work as a couple, which is that they've gotten their dumbness over in their (laughs) 20s and 30s. And Haven't we all? I don't know. I might have a little <laughs> dumbness left. Well, since I'm in my 20s, uh, you right. know. You've got things to look forward I to. I still do. But they're both parents of two children. They're both Latina or Latino. And they have similar backgrounds and values. Hmm. He talked about making mistakes. He talked about not really having a father figure. Hmm. He talked about the fears of parenthood. And you could see Kathy Lee and Hoda just shocked hmm. about how transparent and genuine hmm. he was. But what he was really doing was leveling the playing field for everybody. Mm. People who thought this is going to be an athlete. He's not going to say much. This guy's arrogant or this guy's so muscly. He disrupted what you think an athlete can be. It's a great word. He absolutely disrupted Mm. what you expected. And his instincts were great. But the most important thing was he was genuine. That is something that you can do to warm people up, to have charisma. And it was genuine because that's really who he is. But for people who are trying to make connections. Mm. Show a different side of yourself. If you're known for something, certainly talk about it as an expert and give some inside information so people understand you. But find some common ground that other people can relate to and be open Mm. about it. And do you find that that's... Let's get right to your pal Tyra Banks because she's an interesting choice for you because you know, we look so much alike. Yes, to uh, <laughs> to, to do you know to do your course. You know why her and what do you think she's bringing to the party for you? Wow. Well, okay. So I'll tell you the story of how this happened. I was teaching at Stanford Business School. I was already teaching a few courses, and Tyra was coming to speak at Semex, which is the big auditorium. Mm. So I was there watching her in the front row. I'm a big fan of hers, and. As she's sitting there talking about her experience in business, she's talking about how she started off as a model. She was the first African-American model on Sports Illustrated. Mm. She needed to pivot when her body type changed to very voluptuous. She went to Sports Illustrated and then Victoria's Secret. She was an actress. She was an author. She was a roving reporter for Oprah. She created her own talk show, The Tyra Show. Then she created her own reality show, Mm. America's Next Top Model. She went to Harvard. She got her OPM degree, which is a nine-week business degree. She did a movie. She then created her own beauty brand. Hmm. What was interesting as I was listening, and this harkens back to your first question, is she knew when to pivot and how to extend her personal brand. She knew when to leave the party before the party was over. She knew when to make cold calls. And she said she was always underestimated because Hmm. of the model title. Yeah, of course. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching her and I'm like, She's amazing. I've learned more about personal branding by listening to her. Mm. And what's what I truly believe, because I've had so many pivots in my career, and going from a producer to an on-air talent to digital to, you know, to a dot-com to teaching, is what I know is you never lose the skills you start with. Mm. And a lot of people only, only define themselves by who they are in the moment. And I say you never lose. Like, I'm always going to be a television producer. Right. And it's how you spin it. So... What I was thinking is, I'm going, to, I'm going to teach with her. So she's over after an hour, and I say to my colleagues, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to Tyra about teaching. And they just roll their eyes at me. So I go backstage, and the guard's there, and he's like, you can't come in here. 
And I said, oh, sure I can. I said, I teach here and I used to produce The View and Tyra's on The View. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and he lets me in. And by the way, I have absolutely no permission to do what I'm about to do. So I was a little disruptive. So I kind of come in and I say, hi, Tyra, I'm Allison Kluger. I teach here. I used to produce The View and Good Morning America. I said, have you ever thought of teaching because... I have an idea of a course I'd like to teach with you. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to teach, but I was thinking of doing it much later. Mm. And I said, I have to tell you, I learned more in that one hour about personal branding. You are a born educator. Wow. And her agent was there, gave me her card. And a week later, I called her, and I'd already had kind of come up with the entire two-week course. Wow. And I said, what do you think of this? Let's stream it live on Facebook. Let's come live out of a TV station. This is what I think you should do. What ideas do you have? These are the weeks that are available. Can you commit? And I said, Tyra, the only thing is you need to come for every single class. And she said, okay. And then I redid the whole proposal with all of the stuff she had thought about. And I proposed it to the dean. And I said, this is what I want to do. Tyra's in. These are the dates. Right. And he said, yes. Wow. One of the things you mentioned, a part, I think we'll talk about that pivot thing uh, in a second because I think that's really uh, important. But the way that you conceived the doing of the class, I think, like you say, you were a TV producer in a college lecture format. And that combination of we're going to stream it, we're going to you know shoot it live, we're going to – I don't think a lot of people think that way, do they? No, and I think if you want to talk about disruption – we do, because we have a scrim here that says disruptive I, I, it's series. It's funny. There's this big yellow sign that says disruptive. Please. <laughs> I think that that is exactly what I did, and I think some people were a little uncomfortable. One of the reasons why I didn't ask permission, I know if I had gone to the dean right after Tyra left and said, you know, I really think I'd like to teach with Tyra Banks, and I have this idea, they would have shot me down right. immediately. Underestimating her, feeling she's light, oh, she's a model. Exactly, and right. even after I got approval... There were a lot of naysayers. Mm. We're lowering the bar. Mm. What can she add? You know, there were obviously people who just wanted to see her out of curiosity. We got the highest scores. It was such a rigorous course. And she brought so much to the table. The first question you asked was, why her and what did she bring? She has so much knowledge Mm. about personal branding, about business, about social media. And she came up with it all on her own. Great visuals. We were such a good team because I had a lot of the frameworks and Mm. I read about four books on personal branding and then just of my own experience. So anecdotal, frameworks, textbooks, and then the Tyra Banks, who is a living, breathing embodiment of extending her personal brand over and over again. Right. And it sounds like both you and her, uh, whether you welcome the change, you kind of didn't resist it. And I think for a lot of people... You know, when change is there and you've got to do something different, I think a lot of people shut down. And I think, at least for you, you know, a lot of your success is like, oh, okay, this thing, you know, like Oprah says, you know, this this window closed, I'm going to go out this door. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that – do you teach that? Is that – What I try to teach people, uh, especially in executive presence and strategic communication, what I always say when I start my first class in strategic communication is I say, you can have the greatest idea in the world – But if you don't know how to communicate that idea, you're going to sit in a corner with the greatest idea in the world. So it's all about what are your tools for communicating it? Is it presenting? Is it how you verbally speak? Is it how you stand and Mm. present? And then what I say in my executive presence for women, because women tend to really have a little extra baggage Mm. of feeling silenced, of not feeling heard. And a lot of it is their own baggage that they've put on themselves. And some is reinforced. Right. 
I say, you, you know, you can stay where you are. No one's telling you to move. You can be complacent, but mm. no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, guess what? I think it's time to be promoted. Right. You know, you're doing such a good job. Let's pay you some more. I said, so you can stay where you are, be complacent, be happy. But unless you opt in, it's not going to happen. And then I also say, if someone offers you something, I know the knee-jerk reaction is to say, I'm not ready. Or I can do eight on this checklist, but the other three I can't, so I'm not going to do it. Right. But when something is asked of you, the deliverable is usually not five minutes later. The deliverable might be a week, a month, even mm-hmm. six months. In that time period, you will figure it out. Because people are amazing. You pull in resources, you research it, you ask for help. We're all problem solvers. You just have to trust that between now and the deliverable time, you will figure it out. But opt in. And do you think that's different between men and women? Like if there's a, there's a task list of eight things, the women, you know, based on what you said, will go, ooh, these three I'm not sure I can do. Is it different for a guy? It's absolutely different. There's this article called The Confidence Gap. This is old. It was maybe 12 years old, the study. And for men, they only have to be 60% sure. So they can look at a list and go, I can do that. I can do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can do that. No problem. <laughs> a woman will look at the same list. I can do that. I can do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can do that. I'm not going to do it. Women, how? what percentage do you think women need to be certain of before they want to opt in? Mm, based on that, I'd say 80%. Good guess. Actually, 100%. Wow. And what I say in my course is, Nobody is 100% certain of anything yeah. in this world. So you're always going to lose. So you might as well just opt in and figure it out. But the study also says that if a woman is forced to go in and take the same exam a man is taking, they'll do the same or better than the man mm. if they're forced and they have no way to opt out. Mm. So our this is a deal. Men have more testosterone. Women have estrogen. Testosterone is risk-taking. Mm. Women actually have more estrogen and a worrywart section in their brain. So it's a biological thing. What women are really great at is landscape. We're really great at worst comes to worst scenarios. Worst comes to worst, I'm going to do this. You know, worst comes to worst, I can figure this out. So we like to know ahead of time. We plan ahead for disaster. Versus men, which is we're here, burn the ships, we're taking this village. Exactly. Well, (laughs) I'll tell you a really great story. When I had my first child, uh, I had the most amazing diaper bag, right? Mm. Like it had compartments and everything was in it for every disaster, every emergency. And it was awesome. So the first time I left my husband alone with my son, Logan, and I said, okay, I'm going to go to this other baby shower and you've got Logan and here's the diaper bag. Everything's already. So of course, Mark doesn't take the diaper bag with him, right? right. He just forgets it. And he goes and of course, he's a dude. He's a dude. <laughs> he doesn't care about my amazing diaper bag. So of course, my son, what's his diaper, whatever, he goes to 7-Eleven. He buys like a jumbo thing of diapers and a jumbo thing of wipes. And he just changes him in the back of the car. When he came back and told me, I, I was like in a fetal position. It was so horrifying to me that he didn't have my diaper bag and he had kind of winged it like that. To him, it was like, what's the big deal? That's the difference between men and women. Right. Let me tell us a little bit about uh, on your, you know, on your consulting business. I mean, who shows up for that? Well, I talk to a lot of VCs and CEOs. I have both men and women. The women I see are, are very powerful. But again, a common thread a lot of times is not feeling their own power. And a lot of times I teach them in how to speak is to own their space. Mm. Men in general take up a lot of space. They come and they sit down, they spread out. They sit, their bodies are spread out. They put their stuff all over the table, right? 
yeah, look, you're all spread out. Me, I'm all compact, <laughs> tidy. <laughs> Women put their stuff, they're tidy. When we speak, men gesture big. Mm. They tend to walk more. Women are more compact. They're tighter. They're smaller. Mm. It actually translates. A woman who can speak and roam and talk and gesture is a much more powerful speaker. A speaker who is calmer and speaks slower and pauses for effect is much more charismatic. Women sometimes rush it because they feel maybe I don't deserve to be speaking. Or some guy's going to cut her off, you know, in two seconds. Exactly. She'll be disrupted by some guy. Yeah, well, we don't use disruption that way. (laughs) I think what's very interesting, and we touched on briefly, is your journey. So... Uh, how did a nice girl from Horace Mann wind up in Palo Alto? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know who Horace Mann, Horace Mann is a prep school. Let, I guess. The, let them look it up. Let Should them, they look they it up? Google All right. It. Yeah, yeah. Just a school up in Riverdale. Um, Not as good as Riverdale. But no, yeah. I know. I wonder who went to Riverdale. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I the ironic thing, Rob, is that I thought I was going to be a businesswoman. Hmm. My, my dad went to Wharton. And that was my dream, and mostly because my dad went to Wharton. Right. But I always skewed towards creativity. Right. I was an artist. Um, I spoke Spanish really well. I taught kids how to speak Spanish. I had an art portfolio, and I read every issue of People magazine since its inception. And I was a prolific writer and loved TV. I watched By the way, who knew that People magazine would be one of the keys to your success? You know, this is so weird. When I, I went to Penn and... I took creative writing my first year, and I had this teacher. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Her name is Biff Russ. Hmm. Did not like me. And it's very rare for a teacher not to like me. I'm a goody-goody, and I love writing. But she said to me, and this stuck with me, she said, you have incredibly complex and sophisticated ideas, Allison, but you write like People magazine. And she meant it as an insult, but I'm like, yeah. I know. That would be like a total compliment I was like, well, that, that makes perfect sense because I'm going to you know, I'm gonna go into entertainment. But it made sense because I probably had a People magazine in my backpack at that very moment. Um, but you know, People magazine in very short paragraphs have to get a point, yeah. a point of view and enough information to capture the attention of the viewer. So it actually made perfect sense. But I digress. I no, w- no, no. But I think on this point, I think, uh, you know, there, there's a guy named Dave Trott in, in, our, in our business in advertising. He says, you know, really smart people like things simple and really dumb people think things that sound complex are smart. I love that. Well, there's a saying, which is K-I-S-S, right? Mm. Keep it simple, stupid. That's right. And I think these days, especially with Twitter and with the ways we communicate with each other, that we have simplified it, sometimes almost too simple. But people now don't have the time. Maybe back when I was, you know, doing it, I had, I did have a knack for messaging very easily. Um, and you, in what you do, for sure, yeah. how do you get a thought? How do you? Well, I learned all that from uh, writing um, notes to friends uh, in high school. Very funny L- notes. No, but it's true. Literally, like, you know, you had to, you had to capture <laughs> the thing you wanted to say on a torn piece of paper. What do the notes say, like, let's skip school? The, whatever they were. <laughs> this is a family show, Allison. I don't, I don't remember what they were. But I remember you had to be pithy. <laughs> pithy is definitely uh, a, a good word. On a small piece of paper. And, you know, because you had to get the thing quickly before the teacher's like, what's going on back there? It's true. See students rule the world. Don't forget that. I hear you. I hear you. All those wordy words is very wordy. You can quote me. <laughs> so I went to Penn and after taking econ, realized I'm not never going to be a business student. That is just pie in the sky. And I don't even want to be. 
And I immediately majored in English and switched to Annenberg School of Communications. And mm. I did everything. I had my own TV show at Penn called Penn PM, which wow. I was executive producer and host and sometimes camera person and content editor and everything you could possibly do. So you went all in early. Like you kind of saw it and went, bam, this is for me. I did. Wow. And I, I interned at a radio station and I interned at KYW News in Philadelphia. So I always had some sort of job or an mm. internship in the business and studied communications. My junior year of college, my sister went to Club Med and happened to room with a producer at Good Morning America. Mm. And she talked about me. And she said, oh, I want your, do- your your sister to be in a segment. Mm. We need college students for something. So they called me up. And I unfortunately had midterms. And I said, I can't do it. I said, but you know what? I'd really like an internship at Good Morning America. Wow, look at you this negotiating. Summer, I said, I'm going to give you nothing, but I'd like you to give me an internship. Wow. And Wendy's like, sure, why not? Because that's how easy it was back then, right? Wow. So my credentials were, she knew my sister and I was studying in the field. I got a summer internship. And I remember that there must have been 50 interns. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be that intern they remember. I'm going to be the best effing intern. And I came in two hours early every day and I went to the live show. I learned everybody's name in the studio. I was in the green room and then I'd work the full hours till five and then I'd stay in the editing room at night. I'd volunteer to go on shoots. And to me, it was like, this is the best time of my life. (laughs) I'm getting a free education. I'm in the number one morning show. And, you know, I'm the only one who came in on July 4th. You know, no interns. It was a three-day weekend. But I showed up on Monday because I'm like, I'm going to be that intern. Compelling proof that you're not a millennial. Very compelling. Exact. And I Xeroxed a lot. I know that no one knows what that is anymore, but a lot of Xeroxing. I, I know what Xeroxing is. I'm, I know. A, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> so um, I came in and filled in on vacations. I stayed in touch, and I was hired three days after graduation. I had two job offers for, for there and for the Barbara Walters special. Hmm. And I, I chose GMA because... Um, Good Morning America for those people who don't know GMA. And I figured there was more upward mobility. Hmm. And also because I already knew everybody. Right, right. And that was it. I spent seven years there. And I learned every kind of producing possible. I kind of carved out a niche as a special projects producer. And I did theme weeks. Hmm. And I hit my ceiling after seven years. Like there was no upward mobility. Right. And there was a shopping network started by Barry Diller and Diane von Furstenberg. Sure. Now, this was really before the internet, so home shopping was actually kind of cool. Yeah. Very hard to imagine, I know. And it was going to be at Silver Cup Studios in Long Island City, yeah, so not where QVC was in the boonies of Westchester, Pennsylvania. No, right over the bridge. Exactly. Back when Long Island City wasn't so fancy. So, yeah, exactly. People and, are like, oh, um, do you like Brooklyn? I'm like, no, my family struggled to get out of Brooklyn. I would be <laughs> violating my ancestors to embrace Brooklyn. Right, so we never left Silver Cup Studios. It was kind of <laughs> sketchy. But we had a van that took us. Um the real reason also is they doubled my salary. Hmm. You know, when I said I was leaving, the president of ABC called me in his office and said, we don't want to lose you. Well, wow. up your salary 10000 which at that point was yeah. a lot. And I said, I'm sorry, they're doubling my salary. I got to leave. Hmm. But also it was time to leave. They had seen me grown up since an intern. Right. And I needed to leave. I went there and I was going to produce the home section. So this was kind of like Williams-Sonoma type products. Right. Like cool stuff. Yeah, yuppies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember yuppies. Yeah. And my, my host quit, and they said, you go on air. Ah. You you know all about producing. You know how to message. And I was like, oh, 
damn. Yeah. And um, I auditioned, and I did a great audition, and all of a sudden I'm now the host. See, I tell people all the time, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old Woody Allen line. I know we're not supposed to like Woody Allen, but this is a great line, that success in life is 80% showing up. Like, you were there. You showed up. You were there. I can do this. I, I agree. And it's also, again, it's opting in. And there's always that voice in your head, which is, what the hell are they doing asking me? Right. Right. And I used to fly all over the United States producing segments. You know, I used to go to the floods. I used to go mm. to hurricanes. I used to. They used to send me anywhere. And sometimes in a few hours notice. And I would always say to myself, why the hell are they sending me? Don't they know? I don't know what, you know, like, you would have this dialogue in your head. And then I would do it and it would be fine. And so I've kind of always, there's always been a bit of healthy fear. Yeah. And then a healthy like, well, why not? Let's just figure it out. You um, kind of lean into the fear. You're like, you know what? Yeah. It's it's there. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and cool. historically, it usually turns out better because I think I fear it out. Like I think of, like what I said, what women do. I think of all the worst comes the worst comes the mm. worst and then it never happens. Maybe I've earned it. By the time I've been so neurotic and freaked out about everything and it doesn't happen, I worried so much that I earned the right for it not to happen. Yeah, all right. And I think that's probably what my psychologist probably said. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> so anyway, um, did on-air talent. I said, I'll do this until you find someone to replace me. And then I went into the control room, which I found was really my love. Yeah. And um, figured out how a live broadcast works. Then I left there and I went to a new shopping network where I executive produced it, 16 Hours of Live TV. Mm. And I hosted to relax. And that's where I learned how to manage like a group of 100 people mm. and how to hire and fire and all about what sells, what doesn't sell. And then when that was about to fold, The View came calling. Wow. And they had remembered me. And, and you know, it's an incestuous business. Yeah, sure. And they remembered me and they said, we have this new show with Barbara Walters. And it's funny, I had an interview at Martha Stewart Living. And because I had done all these home products, I thought that's where I'd go. Wow. So I went to <laughs> I went to The View. It was a rainy day. I wasn't dressed up, but everybody knew me. And they showed me the pilot. And I'm like, I love it. I want to do this. And they offered me the job on the spot. And what did you love about it? Um, well, I love Barbara Walters, and I always wanted to work with her. I love the hot topics. I love the ladies. And I just loved that it was it was disruptive to – I hadn't seen this. It was yeah. five women talking about it. Kathy, Lee, and Regis was the closest thing. Right. Those first few minutes of their show. But this was five women with different points of view. And it was casual. It was more conversational than kind of a it was. stiff, you know, whatever. It was still very experimental when I was coming mm. on. We did a lot of – segments that never showed up on air. And I loved being in a startup that way. I loved the people and I knew, and, and it's funny, I left and then I came back in a much more powerful position. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a funny joke and this will probably come back and bite me in the butt. But in the conversation, they said, you know, you've been an executive producer. I'm not sure we can pay you that much amount because you're only going to be a coordinating producer, but we can pay you this much a week. And I already told you I can't do math. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out how much that is a year. Right. And I must have had this face on. They go, oh, OK, OK, we'll pay you more. We'll pay you this much a week. Wow. So your math my inability turned into a real advantage. Got me a raise. So then I said, OK, OK, I'll take that. Oh, that's so good. Isn't that great? That's so good. So they offered me the job and I said, I can't take it. I have to go on an interview tomorrow to Martha Stewart. And I said, I'm, oh, so you strung them out a bit. Too. I did. I said, you know. It would be irresponsible of me not to go check out this other job, but I will let you know tomorrow. And then I went and hated it. No offense to them, but it wasn't the right place. And then I, I accepted the job. 
Wow. All right. That's good. And then uh, you, you met Al Gore, right? He had a TV show. Or a I TV did. Network. I moved to California with my husband, started a .com, did some digital. And then one of Mark's, uh, my husband's professors, um, was starting up this network with Al Gore hmm. and had heard that Mark... Um, had a wife who was a TV person. So I said, TV always came back. Yeah. That was my link to everything. And I met Al, and this was after he lost. And, you know, I always say if people could have seen the Al that I saw, yeah. they would have voted for him. Yeah, he's awesome. Have you met Al? No, but I did an ad for um, right after the uh, whole butterfly ballot issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it showed the ballot. And it just said, never underestimate the power of good design. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> We sent it right up to, and Steve Jobs loved it, and uh, Apple ran it, like, you know, within seconds. I mean, it was like, you know, as fast as they could run it, you know, back when there was, you know, newspapers that people read. <laughs> what are newspapers again? I don't know. Things that you... You get ink off you your fingers. wrap dead fish in. I don't That's know. right. So then, uh, yeah, so then next thing you know, you're uh, you're out there in Stanford. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a pretty amazing story. I think you've dropped a lot of gold for people. Thank you. I think it was really good. I think, uh, you know, we ask at this point, just give us one piece of advice. So we've got some, you know, people just starting out. We've got some CMOs, you know, they're they're under a lot of pressure. I mean, what's what's the what's a great piece of advice for someone? My favorite piece of advice is to present the solution, not the suggestion. So a lot of people, again, are worried about opting in or they're a problem identifier. If you're sitting in a meeting and they're like, uh, excuse me, uh, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. But it's the person who actually says, you know, this isn't working and I think you need to do it this way. And I'm going to do it and I, this is how I'm going to arrange it. And that's the hero. But if there's an opportunity for you to create something for yourself or fill a void and present the solution, it almost always works. And I use the Tyra example. But I've used that many times in my life where there's something I've wanted. So I've developed it before I had permission. I've fully fledged. I've anticipated what the pushback will be or what the questions will be and had the answers already. And then I say, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how it's going to benefit you. This is how it's going to be different. This is um, how it's going to make money. And this is why it's going to work. Wow, I'm buying. That's really good. Well, good. Well, thank you so much, Allison. That was amazing. Thank you and so much, Rob. great to see you. And uh, yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shiat Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiatny.tumblr.com. 